women's rights Welcome to episode six of season two. And in some respects, it's more like 6.5 since we finished our live at Mark's. But we are here, another podcast session from the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, a podcast series that's shining a spotlight on women in intellectual property. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the founding co-partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited based out of the U.K. and London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix magazine. The 2022 Women's IP World Annual can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that many IP conferences are back in person, also keep an eye out for hard copies at those conferences as well. Today, we have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Maria Khan, senior partner at United trademark, and patent services with offices in many countries in the Middle East. Maria is in Dubai. Thank you for joining us uh, today, Maria. I can't even tell you how excited I am to speak with you after um, some uh, missteps trying to get this going. Um, You know, it's not often you can't get connected uh, here on this side of the world uh, because of a... uh, uh, a sandstorm, right? I mean, for us here, that's like from the movies. Um, so that is a real thing. And I'm very excited to um, to hear more about your practice as well as your recent article in this year's Women's IP Annual 2022. So welcome, Maria. So glad you're here with us. Thanks, Michelle. It's a pleasure to be here. So, okay, we are... Um, I, I, just to set the stage for everyone in the annual, those that have either the hard copy or electronic version, on page 77, which is your bio, I noticed that you have other names as well. Can you tell us a little bit of background? Uh, by other names, you mean, I mean, what, what are you referring to exactly? <laughs> so I'm referring to, when I look at your bio, and I saw yeah. that there's also Farouk. Ir- oh, you mean my phone name. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't know if there is a, a specific way, like I know in, you know, like Latin America, yeah. um, for example, you might have your father's name and your mother's mm-hmm. name, which is mm-hmm. common. But, in you know, here in the States, mm-hmm. it's more common to see perhaps just the father's name. So I was yeah. curious is that if that is a like a cultural, um, how you have it set up, your full formal name, is that is that a cultural thing? Yeah. So so my full name is Maria Farooq Irfan Khan. And uh, I'm, you know, originally Pakistani, even though I live and work in Dubai and the firm uh, has offices in the Middle East, which is where I usually, you know, spend most of my time. Uh, but we, you know, that's Khan is my family name, 
which would be uh, part of everyone's name in my family. And then Irfan is actually my grandfather's name. And Farooq is my father's name. So I have, uh, you know, three generations um, in my name, which is interesting because my firm is also a family firm. It was actually started by my grandfather. Um, and then my father and my uncles, uh, you know, progressed it further. And now I'm the third generation in IP law. Um, so my name kind of, you know, holds that history as well. Okay. So, and is that typical of, of people in the region that might have, um, you know, basically three, three surnames that kind of, um, identify your lineage? Yes, I, I think it's pretty common because it's it's common to have a family name and then have your father's name in there at the very least. Uh, but uh, maybe, you know, grandfather's is going uh, slightly one step too far. Uh, <laughs> but that's what my parents, you know, uh, put in my name. And, and, and I'm, I'm married, but I didn't take my husband's name, which is also um, actually quite common in, in our culture as well, even though it's a recent, uh, you know, Western phenomena in terms of, you know, feminism and people uh, hyphenating names or, you know, not really taking their husband's names. But it's uh, in the Islamic world, that's actually the norm that uh, you always retain uh, your parental lineage and you don't actually switch over to your husband's name. I just can't imagine, Maria, you filling out forms um, (laughs) if you had yet taken another name. Um, here, 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 there's an interesting, um, I, I don't know if a phenomena, but maybe trend where, mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe this is adapted from, from other cultures because mm-hmm. we're such a, we're such a melting pot here of mm-hmm. different cultures, but, um, women, you know, perhaps they're, they, they keep their maiden name, mm-hmm. um, but they're, they drop their middle name because we yeah. typically have also a middle name that's given by our parents mm-hmm. and then their maiden name becomes their middle name. Yeah. So that, that's something that I know, um, that people do here. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's more prevalent in the South, but I'm seeing it also up, up, up North where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's interesting because our, our, uh, our heritage, right, mm-hmm. is very much wrapped in our names, yes. right? Um, yes. And so I think it's, and especially because your firm being a family firm mm-hmm. to, you know, keep the name alive from your grandfather, you know, is really, is really neat, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think. Uh, and it, you know, kind of connects the generations. So it's, it's it's a nice thing, but yeah. I can understand why you were hesitant to, you know, perhaps take yet <laughs> another name. Yeah, no, you can tell a lot about a person's, uh, you know, lineage. And recently, like I was at the PTMG in Lisbon and I met someone who's a German lawyer, uh, but he had a hyphenated uh, last name, which was Spanish. And so him and his wife actually decided to combine their names together and he was married to a Spanish person. And so, you know, it makes for very interesting conversation when you just suddenly meet someone in one of these networking events that, you know, you're German, you look completely German, you're not a female. Why do you have a Spanish, you know? And he said, we just decided that we'll take on both of our names. So both of us have a German middle name and a Spanish last name. 
Yeah. And we actually consider both, I mean, I suppose, again, like how you fill it out on the form, which, which you know, field are you populating? But it's like um, still considered the last name. Mm-hmm. There's like a first last name and a second last name. And I know because I have uh, my husband, legally, I do have my husband's last name. So my passport has two last names. Yeah. I, rem- I kept my middle name. Mm-hmm. And then I just have a, a longer, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, with the two surnames as my last name. So, so I understand, you know, it, and it's a, it's an interesting thing for a moment when you said they combined last names, I thought it was kind of like a, 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 a Brad, a, you know, Angelina Jolie type yeah. of combo that people, you know, would, would make fun of those, those mm-hmm. kind of combined names. So I see mm-hmm. what you mean. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. two last, two last names essentially. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And. And yes, and you you can tell, you know, when we look at last names, we're like, oh, where do you, where do you, where are you from? So it's mm-hmm. a normal, and it's, it's normal when something doesn't seem to fit like your yeah. expectation mm-hmm. um, and, a, and a nice kind of conversation um, starter to have yeah. because, you know, sometimes we don't always want to talk about, you know, the new regulations and under what, exactly. <laughs> under what jurisdiction, yeah. you know, it's an interesting, different, different different kind of aspect to um, conversation piece for, for networking for sure. Mm-hmm. So I know you've lived in different places mm-hmm. and, you know, as, and um, in connection with your various degrees, you know, kind of going mm-hmm. back to your, your, your bio page. Can you tell us a little bit about your educational background? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I was born and raised in uh, Pakistan, like I said, and I, uh, went to a convent school here, which we, uh, you know, in Pakistan, which was run by nuns. Uh, so that was a very interesting mm-hmm. experience. We had Irish uh, Protestant run nuns in Pakistan. So it was pretty colonial. It was, a, a you know, that kind of an experience. But then at 17, I actually went to the U.S. Uh, to this place called Wellesley College, which is in Boston. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once again, it was... Um, and interesting, you know, I've, I've kind of always been to institutions that are slightly outside the norm because it's a women's college mm-hmm. um, and it's very it's a very small place. You know, they only have 600 students a year. They only do undergraduate degrees. It's a liberal arts college. And um, I did biochemistry, which was also unusual there because most of the people were doing you know, uh, economics, history, things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was it was, you know, a wonderful experience. And I feel like I really found myself when I was there because I was uh, a very shy person before going there and you know then just traveling halfway across the world or completely across the world really uh, without your parents uh, really makes you you know grow up fast and become pretty confident and so it was a wonderful experience for me Um, and then after that um, I uh, decided to do law and uh, I was always confused as to whether I wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor because my mother is a doctor and my father is a lawyer Um, and they both had their own, you know, reasons for egging me on in a certain direction, which is why, (laughs) you know, I I kept studying science till like almost the very end till it was time to make a decision. Um, uh, So for law school, I actually came to England, uh, to Cambridge University, um, and I did an LLB degree there. And I I always knew that I wanted to uh, work in this part of the world. And so because, you know, the Middle East, uh, South Asia, they're all part of the Commonwealth, um, it makes more sense to study British law because the foundation of law in most of these places is British. Um, And then, you know, uh, 
you qualify as a barrister in England. So I qualified as a barrister of England and Wales. And I worked in London for one year. I worked in New York for one year um, uh, at Dorsey and Whitney. And But eventually I was going to come back to this part of the world. And so I moved back to Dubai. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, after doing the world tour of education, <laughs> um, <laughs> at least in the, some English-speaking regions, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that that's incredible. And, you know, even going back to your experience at Wells, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Wellesley, it's Wellesley. It's Wellesley, a, yeah. Yeah, Wellesley. That is mm-hmm. a very um, prestigious uh university here. Yeah. I, I am familiar with it. And mm-hmm. yes, and knowing that it that's all girls. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, I, I believe it still is today. Yes, I mean, it I think it's yeah. one of the, yeah, hmm. so it's, you know, what interesting experience you had at young, you know, fairly young age, you know, still mm-hmm. as, a, you know, as a student until, you know, then you start working and working in different mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that certainly, must make, um, you know, when you started going to international conferences a little mm-hmm. bit easier, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yes, yes, for sure. I mean, it's it's a real privilege, you know. I, I feel very privileged that I was able to do that. Um, and I feel privileged that I grew up in an environment, even though it was in Pakistan, but because of the international exposure and, you know, like the first entire I attended, I was actually four years old. So I, you know, I actually meet people at conferences who've seen me as a young child uh, with my parents because, you know, my father was on the inter board of directors and he's, you know, well known in the IP circles. And so because we traveled so much, you know, in, in the summers or, you know, just generally we had an idea of the rest of the world. Uh, but it's a completely different experience, you know, living uh, in another part of the world and then not having any family, you know, nearby. And then, you know, like the Boston winter, which is something I had never experienced, you know, so <laughs> things things like that uh, were, you know, and, 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 and yes, you're right. Like it, it gives me a sense of connection with so many different people. And, you know, Wells, Wellesley is generally, it's prestigious, but it's a small school. So it's less likely that I run into people who've been there. Uh, but for Cambridge, definitely. I mean, like most of the UK partners that I meet have, have either been to Oxford or Cambridge. And so it, it's good to have that sort of a commonality as well as the difference uh, in terms of, uh, you know, I'm not British, but I understand, you know, quite a bit of their their uh, schooling, et cetera. So it, it's fun, to be honest. And, and, and I think that's why at the end of the day, I picked IP as a profession as well, because I still get to have that kind of worldwide exposure of going around and, you know, meeting people from all over the world and kind of hearing what their points of view are on, uh, you know, anything that's happening in the world right now. And it keeps you really sort of, um, you know, on your toes and it makes you realize that the world is just not this little bubble that you live in, which you do tend to do, especially, you know, after you get married and you have little kids and it's hard to look beyond that bubble. Uh, But our work, you know, makes us step out of that comfort zone very often. And and I love that about it. It is so fun right to have friends yeah. all over the world um it, it's 
it, and it does make the world seem smaller in, mm-hmm. in some respects. Mm-hmm. So I, okay. So you went back to the region, um, mm-hmm. the, you know, the MENA region. Can you, mm-hmm. for those that aren't familiar, um, can you explain what the MENA region me- means and where essentially like where your, your offices are, even though we know you are specifically in Dubai? Yeah. So, so the MENA region uh, it stands for the Middle East and North Africa, which broadly um, is the region going, you know, starting from Morocco and Tunisia all the way up to, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia, the UAE. Um, and then my farm also covers South Asia. So Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka. Um, so I, even though I'm based in the Dubai office, the firm has 17 offices in this region. And so we cover all the way from Morocco to Bangladesh um, in terms of the region. And I travel between the region quite often as well because, um, you know, in, in because of the fact that I'm in the management and I'm a partner, um, it's also one of the privileges of my job to go to places like Jordan and Oman, which, you know, I love traveling to and, Uh, you know, like even from your part of the world, it seems like this region would be like, you would view it as a whole, but obviously all the countries have different cultures and, you know, different regulations, etc. So it's fun to have that sort of an uh, experience as well. And so United Trademark and Patent Services basically covers the Arabic speaking world, um, in this uh, region. And so that is spread over Africa, Asia, um, and, uh, you know, the Middle East. And so that's, that's what we do. Wonderful. So we're gonna take a quick break. And then when we return in a moment, we're going to talk about your recent article about the working mother in the Middle East and beyond when we are back. The Women's IP World Annual 2023. Not long now, If you are interested in being part of the Women's IP World Annual 2023, please make sure to contact us today to see if there is synergy for us to collaborate. We continue to spotlight influential women from all over the globe working in IP, IP law, and innovation. There is still time to join our network of remarkable women and share your industry knowledge through thought leadership content in our annual publication. The Women's IP World Annual is published only once a year. So make sure you take advantage of being part of the 2023 annual edition, published in February 2023. Contact info at womensipworld.com or call plus 44-0203-813-0457. Disclaimer, we are working to a copy deadline of the 5th of January 2023 for you to be involved. So do not delay and get in contact with us today. Welcome back. Uh, We are going to talk about now the 2022 edition of the IP Women's Annual um, article, Working Women and the COVID-19 Pandemic, a Perspective from the Middle East, which is pages 78 and 79. So now, Maria, as a working woman, senior partner, no less, with uh, two young children, I believe, Mm -hmm. Tell us about, um, as I call it, your work-life imbalance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I don't really know, you know, exactly what to say. So I have, I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. And before I had them, I'd been working for a good 10 years. And 
a very big part of you know my job was is traveling to the US and the UK and meeting clients and um so you know the biggest sort of issue for me once i had my children was how to keep that up uh because you know it's like a 12 hour flight to boston it takes 18 hours to get to the west coast um and before covid um started my daughter was 4 i think in 2019 so she had been to all four um intas <laughs> during her lifetime <laughs> um and you know and you always need obviously you it takes a village so you need a lot of support and i'm lucky to have a husband who um has a job in which he he's a software engineer so he can work from anywhere in the world mm. and he's very hands on with his kids and so we've been lucky you know to she's been to the barcelona and uh, to seattle you know all of these places um and then the pandemic started and so that flipped things over you know in another way because we were all at home um and i had a, a young baby so my son is now 3 years old and so he's pretty much a pandemic baby he was mm-hmm. uh, born during it and in in that sense it it was good that we were home but then you know in terms of taking calls uh you know doing work i it was just extremely difficult for me to find a spot uh which which he wouldn't just you know start walking into and and people sort of got used to that idea as well that you know if you're at home you can't really separate your work life uh from your uh, home life and i think maybe that is one of the gifts of the pandemic is that we have all accepted the fact that you can't actually bifurcate these two things very neatly um and and i think that is the way that i see it in that i don't really have a separate work life and a separate home life especially because uh you know I run an organization which which I also have ownership of so you know it's it's more of an entrepreneurial role in addition to being a legal role uh so I can never leave it behind um and I can never leave my kids behind either so we have just uh you know figured out ways and hours in which I'm try to be entirely with the children uh but then you know if i need to check an email in the middle i end up doing that as well um so i think i mean i think it's it's not like it's not manageable uh but you need to give up this expectation for perfection in both fields which is difficult i think for women to do because uh they set themselves very high standards and so that is something that i had to unlearn <laughs> when i first had my kids cuz cuz i was used to that you know trajectory of of always being perfect always being on time and and so you know now i think i cut myself a little bit of slack because i feel like whatever is happening even if 90% goes well then that's a really good day it doesn't need to be 100% right where we we change the definition of perfection. So perfection mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be 100% perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 90 to ni- 90 to 100 is mm-hmm. perfection. Falling within that range, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and so your article, I mean right from the get-go <laughs> you spoke the truth to me. I mean right from the get-go. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed and exacerbated something All of us working mothers knew for a long time. Women's unpaid labor runs households and society has yet to figure out an equitable division of the same. 
So we're home. Imagine, so we're home. So our kids, those that had school age kids are also home. Yeah. Right. So be, when the kids go to school, you get to live like your counterparts life yeah. as well. Right. So the kids are yeah. in school and somebody's watching them. They're mm -hmm. cared for and they're learning. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we have that block of time to devote. Yeah. Right. So where we can split. We can, we can split ourselves. Okay. Now, or we, you know, we use that, the hats sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, now I've got my lawyer hat on and I can just completely focus on that. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they come home and you shift and maybe mm -hmm. you go, you shift to your parental hat. Right. Mm -hmm. Then when they go off to sleep, right. Yeah. Then you may put your lawyer hat back on exactly. and you have the pandemic, right? Uh -huh. The pandemic, everybody's at home and there's a merging there's no yeah. longer this like distinct line between your yeah. the different pie pieces of your life. Mm -hmm. And that really that really spoke to me and that is when we were we were seeing a lot of women in droves leaving their employer employment yes. because yes. there was no there, you know if you if you cannot successfully merge those lives, you know yeah. your your very aspects of your life. Yeah. How 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 is how is the house going to function? And that did fall squarely on. Yeah. I mean, they had to, right? They had to because it's not like you could, you know, the, the kids had to be fed. So obviously, you know, between the choice of keeping your children alive and having a job, what are you going to pick? You're obviously going to pick the job. So, and, and it's really interesting because, you know, like, I mean, I actually live in a household which is, I would think is is pretty equitable. But even in that case, um, there is so much, uh, you know, emotional labor, there's so much organizational labor, which only I do. So for instance, you know, during the pandemic, uh, my kid's school was online. Um, and they wouldn't sit and do that online school if I wasn't sitting with them at the same time, you know, and, and mm -hmm. they wouldn't do that because they were really small, you know, like they had literally just started school. So for them to sit in front of, you know, expecting them to sit in front of a laptop and it was just a lot. And so they needed their mom and, and they just wouldn't, even though they had a dad who was going to sit with them, they just wouldn't have him. And, you know, the same goes with like, we're having this call right now and uh, you know, because it's bedtime for my children, they're wandering around outside somewhere. Their father is trying to put them to bed, <laughs> but they know that I'm on a call. So they're just not going to go until, you know, I come out. And my my husband works from home. He never went back to work once the pandemic ended because he's a software engineer and his company said there's no point. And he takes calls, you know, like 10 times a day. Nobody even comes and knocks at the door. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, just, just very basic things like feeding kids and bathing them and, you know, just generally what makes a house tick. Um, it is obviously, you know, more often than not a, a part of the women's free labor. Um, and we haven't figured out a way to compensate women for that. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, what they do is is either they go out of the workforce or they end up going part time. So they, they earn less than their male counterparts because there is no, um, you know, sort of 
state uh, department or something that is coming in and stepping in or offering free childcare or offering longer hours at school. Uh, you know, it's just it's just not there. We haven't figured out as a society how to pay for that unpaid labor. And it's yes, and you know when I'm speaking with those that maybe, um, you know, that don't have kids, they may or may not, you know, live with a partner, you know, it's such a different world when you're talking an experience that the last three years have been Mm -hmm. for those that didn't, it's just a, or maybe, or, you know, maybe, maybe they're, I mean, a dependent, you know, it could be maybe they're just kind of on their own and they Mm -hmm. don't have responsibility for other people's lives. You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's an aging parent or something, you know, it doesn't have, but in in this line here, I just, I, I, I love this, this line in your article. Parenting is a laborious, time consuming, all encompassing task. Yes, it is. If society, Mm -hmm. if society requires a new generation to be reared, in order to carry on civilization, it must provide ways and means to make it fulfilling for the women on those whose shoulders this task squarely falls onto. So, I mean, I was reading this going, yes, yes. <laughs> now, what do we do about it? So the pandemic is very interesting, right? Because it mm-hmm. gave like a bird's eye view yeah. to others because, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of like an outcry. Yeah. you know, from a certain segment of the population, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, particularly the working mother, others, working mothers, others as well. Mm-hmm. And so now that others have kind of stepped into our world, right, yeah. you think change for the better will continue for working moms? I mean, I feel like it would because I feel like, you know, especially for uh, Gen Z, right, they, they if they are not getting a role, I mean, I, and I've seen that because, you know, I interview and hire, you know, like young kids and, and I teach in a college as well, you know, in, in, in a law school, I teach IP law. Um, they're just not going to opt into organizations that don't offer them that sort of flexibility, you know. So if, if they have the option of, uh, you know, somebody saying that you need to be in the office for five hours and for the next half of the day, uh, you can work flexibly or you can work from home two days a week and that for the rest of the time you need to come to the office, they will pick that option. Um, And because the pandemic happened, those options are there because employers have also realized that it doesn't actually decrease in in most cases. It depends, obviously, on the industry that you're in, but uh, it doesn't actually re- decrease, you know, the efficiency of that organization to allow for that to happen. Um, so, you know, in in one sense, there's that because the the younger generations, you know, they realize the value of their own time and they they're not just going to be you know worker drones you know sitting around just for face value at an office for hours and hours um on the other hand um you know the other wake-up call is that if if that entire responsibility continues to fall squarely on the shoulder of women they're simply just they're going to opt out you know and so you see countries in which 
the population of young people is decreasing and increasingly the state has to bear responsibility for an aging population and that is actually an economic issue uh, you know for the western world so obviously there needs to be some sort of thought process going into uh, giving some sort of inducement or motivation for women to have children and that shouldn't involve uh, a choice between, you know, losing your career entirely and, uh, you know, having children. So I do see, you know, organizations coming up with solutions, like mostly in terms of flexible hours and, uh, you know, allowing people to sort of like, I mean, obviously law is a very traditional field, but especially I think maybe in my part of the world more so, uh, but people used to sort of frown upon people who take, for instance, a two hour lunch break, right? And they'd be like, that person left and they're still not back. But if you end up saying that, you know, I have to do this because I have to pick up my child from school and then I have to drop them um, and I will make up for that, you know, sometime when I'm at home, I think organizations are actually okay with things like that because it makes them retain quality people. Um, And I have found in my organization that, you know, women more often than not are the, the, the very sort of good quality employees to retain. So, you know, I, I offer that to people and, and I feel like people are offering in order to remain competitive in the industry, you need to offer that sort of flexibility and not be rigid um, in terms of, you know, hours, et cetera. And we talk a lot, or I, I, I certainly see articles and there's a lot of news on, you know, staffing issues and mm-hmm. retention issues. And so I, I, I believe that by offering these, you know, you, you gave some great examples um, of these benefits, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily financial. They, yeah. They're not necessarily financial benefits, but they are so valuable to people and people have choices uh, of, in employment. I feel like more so exactly. now than exactly. ever. They do mm-hmm. because it's difficult to find, uh, you know, sort of trained people, especially because, you know, it, there was a host of people who, when they stayed home during the pandemic and they quit their jobs, they decided that they just like it that way, you know? And so they didn't actually come back. Um, so in, in most fields, there's actually a dearth of, of good people. And so then obviously... Um, the more, you know, flexibility, the more such uh, quality of life, uh, you know, decisions that you offer them, the more likely it is that, you know, they would pick your organization over another. And and I think that's great because uh, people, you know, are, are, for instance, you know, in my, in my firm, um, Saturday, so we, we used to work Saturdays, you know, in our part of the world, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Dubai, um, <clears throat> the Middle East, the weekend is only one day. Um, and a two day weekend is a very new and Western concept. So mm-hmm. we didn't used to have that uh, before the pandemic. Um, and after, you know, the pandemic, when people started coming to work full time, we realized that it was just pretty much unnecessary to have them come in on Saturdays because they could really uh, finish whatever they needed by staying in, you know, maybe later on Friday or doing it from home if something urgent came up. And that obviously increases the quality of life for that person many fold because they have one day to do 
their you know tasks and then they have one day to relax um so you know it's things like these which um did change after the pandemic quite a bit wow and so the 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 weekend was pri- prior the weekend was which day so it used to be friday uh, yeah i thought it was friday yeah, okay exactly so friday was now it's friday and off. saturday but no now so this year um the uae um at least changed its weekend so now in the uae the weekend is saturday and sunday uh oh, but in okay. saudi and in qatar and in some other countries it's still uh friday saturday friday saturday yeah so i have uh, the, you know time flies um i have one more question i want to ask you and that has to do with um and your article touches on this um you know differences or maybe maybe they're not so different um uh-huh. or you know being a working mother in the middle east versus mm-hmm. perhaps in the west mm-hmm. so you know the interesting thing is that i actually made a very conscious decision not to stay uh you know <laughs> in the west uh in terms of having a job because even though i you know i studied there and i worked there and i love the working environment um but i knew that i wanted to have a family one day and so i just wanted to be near my family you know when that happened uh because there is a very strong family net in our part of the world for the most part obviously experiences can vary uh but you know this whole idea of it taking a village um you're more likely to find that village here uh <laughs> usually mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. uh you know and, and and my mother's a doctor and and she has four kids and she worked her entire life but she is an amazing grandmother you know extremely hands on i'm uh you know when i travel i leave my kids with her um and i you know never fear because she's better at it than i am and she's a doctor so you know it's easy <laughs> for me if they get sick or whatever um so you know the, the the sort of social backing that you have for raising a family um is just more present so you know i'm the eldest of four kids and my siblings like my kids aunts and uncles they are so hands on um you know even my own you know uncles because we are such a close knit family so you know my father's brothers and my mother's sisters you know just the entire sort of network of our family is just there for these kids you know if i if something happens and i get stuck at work and then my mother is also stuck somewhere i still have someone to call on to pick my kids up from school and so there is a difference in that sense that um sometimes and i see that in in some of my friends you know who live in the west that sometimes raising kids is a very lonely experience there it, it doesn't have to be obviously it varies by family as well uh, but just the way you know the cities are structured and the way work is and how you you know sort of travel long distances to get to work things like that um it's it's slightly sort of you're you're on our, on your own for quite a bit of it and so i i think that is a real positive of, of being in our part of the world in that there are so many people who are invested in the raising of a child um and there are so many people that you can rely on um and that obviously really helps in terms of having a profession as well because um you know there are less days when you know if if a child gets sick and then you have to stay at home uh you know you can call up on you know three or four aunts and uncles and 
hand them over for you know one day of the week um so you know i i just really love that and and that that goes in the middle east in south asia you know in india pakistan dubai qatar like all of these places and uh, i think it's a really wonderful thing well it sounds like you have a beautiful family and you're quite blessed uh to have your your nucleus as well as your extended family yes. um yes. as part I'm of your your village mm-hmm. yeah uh, Maria, thank you so much for joining me today. You know, no, no sandstorm, no family emergency, no um, uh, network down, none of those issues. We did it. We are two yeah. working mothers and we got it done as we do. And I'm very proud of us for, for, for not giving up um, because we did it. To our listeners, please like, follow, share with your colleagues and friends. But also feel free to send comments and questions. We are here and um, we look forward to communicating with you and seeing seeing um, each other in person now that that is a thing. Yes, I really look forward to that. Women's You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.